Welcome back to the Vitalist Spark podcast. I'm Marcus Johnson, and today we're joined by two Arizonans working to create healthier communities that recognize, address, and prevent traumatic experiences. We're not referring to the type of trauma you see in traffic sections of the news each day. Rather, we're discussing the impacts of adverse childhood experiences, ACEs as they're commonly known, and toxic stress that can stem from harmful relationships with the people, places, and policies that surround each of us. These experiences are often connected with things like abuse and neglect, domestic violence, substance abuse in the home, or the loss of a loved one. Sadly, recent evidence indicates that Arizona has the highest rate in the nation of people experiencing multiple ACEs. Today's guests are working to change that. Angie Burleson is the executive director of the Arizona ACEs Consortium, a statewide collaborative that engages professionals and agencies to increase awareness about the causes, effects, and opportunities to decrease ACEs in our community. They do so in part by training school leaders, teachers, and staff to create trauma-sensitive environments for Arizona's children. Shamari Jackson is a member of the ACES Consortium and is the incoming executive director of the South Mountain Works Coalition, a nonprofit working with youth and leaders in the South Mountain communities of Phoenix to prevent substance abuse. Let's dive in. Well, we are so excited to have two extraordinary partners in Arizona on the Vitalist Spark podcast today. We have the executive director of the Arizona ACEs Consortium, Angie Burleson. Angie, how are you today? I am great. How are you, Marcus? Doing well. It's good to see you here. And you've heard him on the podcast before. It's Shomari Jackson, Outreach Program Director for Snore and Prevention Works and Incoming Executive Director for South Mountain Works Coalition. Shomari, how's it going? Everything's going good. Glad to be here with you wonderful folks. It's great to see your friendly faces. We are here today to talk about creating a trauma-informed, trauma-sensitive, trauma-aware Arizona. Both of you have a ton of experience in this field, and so we are really, really eager to pick your brain about what that means, what you see the future in Arizona looking like, and just to get to know you both a little bit better. So on that note of getting to know you, tell us a little bit about yourself. What's your background? Where'd you grow up? What were your early career aspirations and what got you to where you are today? Angie, I'll start with you. Oof, that's a loaded question, isn't it? <laughs> Born and raised in Wisconsin, actually, and it started snowing the first weekend of November. It was my first semester of college and I was commuting and I came home and I said, I'm done. I cannot live in the cold anymore. I cannot live in the snow anymore. And I am either going to ASU or... Texas A&M College Station, and Texas was way too humid. ASU was absolutely gorgeous. It was the, shall I date myself, the early 90s, and so it wasn't quite as busy downtown as it is now, and I came down in December. I fell in love, and I started right away in January, and I have been in Arizona since, so it is definitely my home. And I have four biological children that range in age from 10 to 23. I have two bonus kids now that are 13 and 9. And I've taken in lots of kids throughout my, my older kids' growing up years. After life experience, being in recovery myself, being around family member, 
that you every mad every role you could possibly imagine and then having a brother pass away from a heroin overdose in 2013 it got me into the substance use recovery and advocacy kind of arena so i am a polarity therapist life coach and a certified hypnotherapist and from working with teens and parents it was like, wow, there's a lot going on here. And how can we connect people? Arizona, because it's so diverse in our land, we're so disconnected, not only in our own organizations, but land-wise. If you go out into Mojave County, if you're out in Navajo County and Apache County, pretty much anywhere else outside of Maricopa, you're driving 45 minutes to an hour through nothing to get to the next city. And so my, my thing was, well, how can we connect all of these people and how can we get them into recovery? In 2019, I had an amazing opportunity to work as a project director for the Arizona ACES Consortium, which combined my knowledge and passion around trauma-informed care with substance use prevention. And it's really that kind of a sweet spot right there. And lucky enough to have been through them with their, you know, amazing growth that we have had over the past three years and became their executive director full time in July of 2021. It's kind of been an evolution of personal experience with trauma, right? A score of seven, which helped me understand my whole entire life and some of the processes up through there absolutely helped me understand my children to, you know, working in substance use disorder recovery and prevention and to really being like, hey, can we just address the, the root cause of all of this? And can we look at what trauma has done to all of us, what it continues to do to us? And um, can we help and see other people for who they are and not what they do and what brought us here? So thanks for having us on to kind of talk about this transformation that's really going on in Arizona. Incredible background. I wrote down tons of notes and additional questions that I want to ask you, but we'll get there. We'll get there. Shamari Jackson, tell us a little bit about yourself and what got you to where you are right now. Thank you, Angie, for that wonderful background. We're both Midwesterners. I came from Illinois. That's my first home. Arizona's been my second home all of my life. My dad has lived out here, came out here, you know, in Arizona the first time when I was 12. And I've been back and forth during the summers all of my life. Moved out here when I was 18. I often say Arizona chewed me up and spit me back into St. Louis, right? I grew up on the east side of St. Louis, which is in Illinois, and always had a little bit of a chip on my shoulder that Arizona was the one thing that I never was able to accomplish. And so I ended up moving back out here in 2009 to go to school and pretty much did that until 2017. I got my master's at Arizona State University, started working in South Phoenix at Southwest Behavioral and Health Services as a prevention specialist. And I did that for about four or five years. And then you know, along that journey, we ended up getting some funding from the Office of National Drug Control Policy that funded us to prevent substance use in our young folks in South Phoenix. The Drug-Free Communities Block Grant taught me a lot about community engagement, coalition development, youth engagement, and 
I went full steam ahead, started networking with schools that I had been building relationships for years, bringing resources to the table. I often tell my students that I'm not just here to do these things for you. I'm here to build your capacity to do them for yourself. And I'm often just the resource guy. So around 2020, COVID hit, right? And right around then, we started looking at community trauma and trauma-informed community building as kind of the missing link for the work that we're doing around substance use prevention in youth. Mm. So we started networking with our schools, which I partnered with a gentleman who was on the podcast with me last time by the name of Sang Hoon Yu, who basically brought to our coalition a trauma-informed community building process that we embraced and we kind of developed our own trauma-informed community building model that engaged our schools, engaged our community, and engaged our service providers. And the biggest focus on there is the development of our trauma-sensitive schools, Southwest Elementary, Cesar Chavez Leadership Academy, as well as Cesar Chavez High School, building out these mechanisms that are designed to help them develop their own trauma-sensitive practices and policies at school. So we've been doing that all through COVID. It has been a challenge, but we are currently, as a coalition, getting ready to move into 501c3 status with the intentions that we were funded through the Vitalist Health Foundation Systems Change Grant that allowed us to actually pilot the Community Health and Resiliency Program in South Phoenix. That is basically our trauma-informed community building model. So we're in year three of that grant. We're still engaging our schools. We're working with teachers. We're working with staff. We're working with students with an overall goal of just getting everybody to understand the power of relationships, the power of connectedness, a lot of the times we have to kind of disguise relationship building as professional development. We're in there giving trainings, but really, really we're in there building relationships. And I think that the relationship is really how we mend some of these voids in our heart that trauma has put in there. help our audience to better understand this term trauma. Both of you alluded to it personally and professionally. When you talk about developing trauma-informed or trauma-aware schools and trauma-aware communities, what are the actual like physical or emotional manifestations of trauma that you're speaking about? Ooh, that's a difficult question because everything is so individualized when it comes to trauma. And trauma isn't just one thing. Let's start first with the trauma-aware lens. When you're looking through a, a trauma-aware lens, it just means that you recognize that trauma exists, right? And that it impacts our human systems. And everybody's human system is impacted by trauma in a different way. So trauma is not an event. Trauma is an experience. It is however that person's system has experienced the event. And so, so many different things go into that factor, right? It's our life story. Everybody has one. We are all humans. You may not be a human. I mean, but 
pretty much all of us are humans, at least, and all of our bodies are set up the exact same way. Our bodies are hardwired to keep us alive and to keep us as safe as possible in order to get there. And so what happens when we experience trauma is each individual is going to, their system is going to respond in whatever way makes them feel safe. So if we can create safe communities and if we can create safe schools and if we can create safe relationships like Shamari was talking about, then our body doesn't have to react with the processes that it has developed in order to keep itself safe and through that trauma. I'll add that the way that I think of trauma, and again, I'm must this gentleman by the name of Sang Hoon a few times because I've learned a few things from him over the years that I'm very grateful for. I was told that trauma is basically a relationship that went wrong in your life, regardless if it's neglect, if it was abuse, if it's a divorce, whatever it is, it is a failed relationship that basically put a void in our heart. And the way that we mend that is through rebuilding these relationships. There's levels to that though, right? There's the individual relationship, there's a relationship with yourself that I've had to struggle with for a long time, figuring out who I was as a young black man, my relationship with my family, my relationship with my communities, my relationship with the system that I live in. So all of these relationships end up causing us trauma because they failed us. They failed our young people. They failed our families. My goal here and our goal here is to really rebuild up these relationships so that we can start to mend those voids that failed us in our lives. You know, I think the biggest impact on my own life was my relationship with my father who, you know, um, both of you know, just passed away recently. And I was glad that I got to do a lot of this work before he passed. But when I was younger, I had a lot of issues with the way that my relationship was with him. And it affected me as a Black man and made me live a very, very risky lifestyle. It wasn't until I started realizing who he was as a Black man and that he was kind of a Black man caught up in the mix in America, that it started making me appreciate myself a little bit more. And a lot of the work that we do, a lot of the work that we have done in South Phoenix is to take a little bit of the pressure off of an individual that it's not necessarily your fault that you're experiencing these trauma. And this is why I'm so appreciative of Vitalist Health and ACES Consortium and the work that we're doing we're not just looking at it as a, at an individual level, but really a systematic level and trying to change that system to be more reflective so that our community folks can not feel the pressure of what seems like our problem every day. But the system is just not set up for us to succeed all the time. And I think the more that we understand that, the more we're better able to heal from some of the trauma that does exist. It's all interconnected through this journey. You're both talking about trauma and things that 
to most people are not easy to talk about, but you're on this podcast right now with confidence, being very candid, talking about things that most people don't want to talk about. And you often hear that stigma around trauma, mental health, whatnot is a critical issue. So how do you do that? Like, what is it that gives you the ability, the agency, the power to kind of have this conversation? I know it isn't easy, but to the outsider listening in, they might say like, wow, these, these folks are really laying out there right now. How do you get to there? Yeah. (laughs) Interventions, right? The the exact same relationship building that Shamari was talking about, right? The, there was a time in our lives that we experienced safe, supportive relationships where we were able to really address the experiences we've had in our lives. And I think a lot of times, and this is one of the reasons that I love this work so much is because once we know better, we will do better, right? A lot of times it's just because we don't know what's going on. We don't know why our body is responding this way. We don't know why we're so angry. We don't know why we're so sad. When you understand what trauma does to your, to your human, you'll, you'll hear me say it over and over again, to your system. It's our human system. When we talk about systems changes, all systems are created by humans. So if we don't go down to that micro level of what happens within a human that has experienced trauma, we're not going to be able to look at that systems-wide change. And we can look at everything as this is what happens. This is how our body keeps us safe. This is how our system keeps us safe. We can see where maybe the gaps were, right, in the thing. And it takes all of that, takes, you're able to address the blame and shame that you typically pour upon yourself when you've experienced things, right? Because trauma, specifically abuse, when you're looking at it, is the perpetrator is placing their feelings of shame on the victim, right? On the survivor. And and a lot of times with our trauma, we take that forward with us. When we can look at, oh, hey, my body's just responding to keep me safe. And it, it really is like, that's what it's supposed to do you kind of become grateful that your system is there and that it has taken care of you to this point that we can get here. And if we can, and I'll speak for myself, if I can, if I can talk about my story and if you see even one sliver of yourself in there and realize that it's not you, this is how a normal system functions, then you're able to reach out and find that safe, supportive relationship in order to get past that. Shamari, what about yourself? How did you get to a point where you feel, I don't know if comfortable is the right way to frame it, but at least you're willing to talk about this really, really sensitive and often difficult topic. I wasn't always comfortable talking about this topic. It took a lot, a lot of work for me to get to this space where I'm open and honest about my story and my journey, my own substance use, my own trauma. But that took a lot of work. And a lot of it started with understanding my family connectedness, like who I was as a Black man. Like I had to just deal with that first and understand who I am as a Black man inside of my family in relation to my dad and my brothers and my uncles. And when I hit some of these milestones in my life, like they started really making me see 
that I owe them more than what they probably think they taught me. And so I, I thanked a lot of them as I hit these milestones. But Angie mentioned something about not understanding why we respond the way that we do. I was thinking about this and that understanding part about who I was and who I am is extremely big for me. After I got through my father part, I started after understanding who I was in relationship to my community as a, as a Black man in a Black community, especially being in Arizona. There's not a lot of us here. That's a whole different level of understanding from when you come from a place like St. Louis that is very, very Black. But in my journey, that understanding kept taking another step up. I connected with ADACA, which is the African Diaspora Advisory Council of Arizona. And it just started going through the roof of my level of understanding of now I was starting to understand what I was missing culturally as a Black man. And these things started making me more comfortable with not blaming myself for the things that I had went through the life that I lived, the experiences that I had to go through. We talk about the system and the need to change the system. Well, I started learning that that system started a long time ago for, for me. This whole conversation around post-traumatic slave syndrome um, that we talk with our Black student unions about, we engage our Black communities currently in a lot of these conversations because I really think it's the missing link for a lot of our young people coming up and being comfortable with themselves, right? There's a lot of things that we just don't connect to and understand. But of, of course, there's levels to this, these relationships and this connectedness, right? There's just the connecting with yourself as an individual understanding who you are in relationship to your family, understanding who you are in relationship to your community, and then just understanding who you are in relationship to that system. And I'm at that point where I'm very understanding of my relationship with the system. And when I got there, it started making me okay with expressing myself because I deserved to express myself because none of this was my fault. Shamar, you nicely laid out kind of this continuum from us as individuals to the relationships that we're in, to the communities that we're, we're involved with, and then ultimately to a systemic level. So, so let's go back to that conversation about, okay, we can recognize signs, symptoms of trauma, but what do we do about it? Is it even appropriate to frame it at an individual level? What are some of the solutions that you and your organization's are seeing or taking on? And then also at a systemic level, what are some of the solutions that you and your organizations are trying to take on? I think it's totally appropriate to bring it down to the individual level because that's where we have to start, right? In fact, how we respond is the, is the key. That is the key of trauma-informed and trauma-responsive systems, right? And so we'll continue that, that systems conversation, understanding that each individual 
is a system within the larger system and the larger system is created up by numerous individuals. And so when we're looking at that, every individual person plays a really unique part. And understanding our own personal stories, understanding our own personal systems, how we respond, what it feels like when we're activated, when it feels like when we are responding in a way that may not be appropriate for the situation because we've been activated because of our past experiences in our life, right? The way that we are able to self-regulate, the way that we're able to understand our own nervous systems is the key to absolutely everything. So you know, for an individual is, you know, number one, I would say understanding what trauma is, having that kind of baseline understanding and understanding what some of the symptoms of trauma are, like how a body normally responds. You know, if we, we know that if we go into fight, flight, or freeze, you know, these are the typical behaviors that are going to come out of that. And we know that that's just a message from our body saying, hey, I'm not safe in this. I don't feel like I'm safe in this. It's the only way your body has to talk to you. That's your body's language is to go into one of those systems to let you know, hey, this doesn't feel good. This feels like this is unsafe for us. And so understanding how your personal body responds to that and then how what works for you for self-regulation. A lot of times we talk about self-care and if you're like me, I swear if somebody tells me self-care one more time, my head may actually explode Um, because you can't even get to the point of self-care if you don't know what self-regulation is. Because if you're not in a regulated and safe system, if you're in fight or flight, okay, so I take a bath, you know, like that's not going to, that's not going to do anything to actually address the issue, right? And so breathing helps address the issue. Singing, things that actually address your nervous system, those are the pieces that you look for and understanding what your own personal signs and symptoms are. For example, mine, one of mine is road rage. If I'm driving and somebody like cuts in front of me and I literally lose it, like cannot believe you've done that, you know what? And then it's always my sign of like, ooh, something's going on with you, Ange, right? Because it's really not that big of a deal. It didn't have an accident, right? It, it's my my warning sign. And so it's kind of like understanding what your own warning signs are and how do you address them? So then when you think about this at a systems level, I know both of you have have had a lot of experience and in particular working with schools and school districts. What's the interest of those who are making decisions at a systemic level in this particular topic? And I'm being a little bit facetious, but why should the systems, why should they care? I don't, I'm going to let Shamari answer this, but I want to address, I don't think that's being facetious. I think that's a really, really good question that's being asked a lot, especially at the admin level, right? Not only the administration level within our schools, but the administration levels within our communities, like our city councils and those pieces, they're asking that exact same questions. So if it does come down to an individual, like what's the you know, what's the importance of having this system change? And I think, I think Shamari has a great answer for that. Even within that system, there's a lot of individuality in that system. And 
There's a lot of questions being asked, especially right now, since we've been experiencing COVID for the last three years, right? That collective trauma has everybody in the same space of feeling like there's more to this than what is being given to us or what we have capacity to do. There should be more. We should demand more. We need more. And that's not just us as community people. You know, I've seen it with our teachers. I've seen it with our young folks. I've seen it with principals. I've seen it with the admin, the district folks, right? And on up the line at the individual level, we're all like really yearning for something more. And I think a little bit of the issue is for me, the system is just not set up to cater to us as individuals, but it needs to be, <laughs> you know, it needs to be catered to us. It needs to be directed by us. It needs to be influenced by us because all of us are the ones going through these challenges, these tra traumatic events. I'm not a big systems person. I'm a big Game of Thrones person. And there's a scene in there where Khaleesi is trying to overthrow all of these slave traders. And she wants to go back to her homeland. And they're like, oh, you're going to go over there and you're going to, you know, take the will, right? And you're going to control the will. And she looks at him and she says, no, I don't want to take over the will. I want to break the will, right? So I'm in this space where I, I feel like the system owes us more. We all work and live in this system. It owes us more. And for me, just working and engaging in schools, I've ran into so many barriers where students, teachers, they need, they want, they desire to do, but there's always some kind of barrier busting through the ceiling that allows them not to get there. I've watched it time and time and time again. That within itself is traumatic. It's traumatic for them. It's traumatic for me. You know, spending eight, nine, 10 years of my life working inside of the school systems in South Phoenix, which there are some wonderful and beautiful people. But to watch people get short end of the stick because of the way the system is set up, it makes me want to hope and it keeps me moving forward and wanting to continue to, to do the work that we're doing. Angie, I hope I gave you the answer that you were looking for. <laughs> It was a perfect answer, right? And, and it is your experience and it is that passion that that drives to work within that system. And I think the system needs to understand the barriers we have within working within the systems. And like, you know, that brings it back to Marcus's question is, <clears throat> what's the benefit? Right. What, what's the benefit of looking at things through a systems lens and through, through a systems change? If you want to produce, you want people to operate at their best. And that is why when we understand trauma-informed care, when we understand trauma-responsive systems, we just get better quality people, better quality feelings, better quality work all around. I think that the question here is, 
there's been a lot of people trying to change systems, right? For a very, very long time. And they keep getting beat down by said system, right? We all have to play our part in how we're going to change the system. And I'm a big believer, and I talk to my students about this all the time. And, you know, I encourage them to go get their education and become executives and leadership because, you know, for me, yes, we can all fight against the system, but we also need somebody to infiltrate that system Mm. and become a part of that system so we can break it down internally. I sometimes use the the analogy that sometimes you want somebody inside to open up the door. And sometimes when that door is not opening, then you got to have folks on the outside pushing down that door. So that, that seems to be the way sometimes that works. I don't want to put words into, into your, into your mouths, but we keep coming back to these themes of safety and relationships, community safety, having a sense of safety, having strong relationships is the keystone is the bedrock to us being able to achieve whatever we want to achieve. That's absolutely right. And it it actually brings me back to what Shamari said at the beginning when you asked him what trauma was, right? And he um, he said that, you know, with working with with Sang-Hoon and it's a failed relationship. And all I could think of Shamari, and I was like, huh, I wonder if I should bring this. But all I could think of is it's actually a failed relationship with safety. At some point, your relationship with safety was failed. And because of that broken relationship with safety, we developed all of those responses. And it really is, it really is as simple as that. It's why safety is the key to absolutely everything. You can't, can't build a relationship if you don't have safety. And safety means so many different things. It's not just physical safety. We're talking emotional safety. We're talking mental safety. We're, we're talking relationship safety, right? And that I wonder if it, I wonder if it's as succinct as bringing it down to it is a failed relationship with safety speaking of being succinct i want to ask a simple yet complicated question what gives you hope conversations like this that the conversation is is happening every time there's even a little bit of connection somewhere that there wasn't before it reminds me that we're not on this journey ourselves, that there's there's a lot of other people. Shamari and I have been working together for years now, right? When, when Shamari first came on with South Mountain Works and my, I had a nonprofit that was named Addiction Haven, which was then changed to Arizona Recovers. There wasn't a lot of conversation going around. It was very few people, Haley Cole of Zenora Prevention Works being one of those people, Getting to the point where we are now, it's like every day, every week, at least every week, if not every day, but every week at least, there is a new conversation. Someone's having the conversation that did not have it before. And that gives me hope. Oh, that is a simple yet very big question. I'm going to start out and be very, very cliche. When I get the opportunity to sit down with students, you know, I just met with a group of students at Cesar Chavez High School the other day. You know, it's summertime. They're wanting to better themselves, better their school, figure out ways to support teacher wellness, support their peers. Getting opportunities like that, I, I think no matter where I am in my career, 
I think I'm always going to make space for that because that that's hope, right? Um, that is the essence of hope. Um, taking young folks that could really have a really good case for why they don't want to do anything, <laughs> you know, but they show up, they have ideas, and they're looking for opportunities to grow and be servant leaders in their space. And I'm a big believer in when I was on this journey of figuring out who I am, one of those steps that I didn't talk about is learning that leadership is about being a servant. And that opportunity for me gives me hope as well, just being able to give back. But, you know, in the work that I do now, regardless if it's um, SPW, at the coalition, with the ACES Consortium, being able to serve and seeing all of these beautiful organizations that are stepping up to the plate that don't want to do anything else but serve. That continues to give me hope. Many thanks to Angie and Shomari. If you have any questions about ACEs, trauma, or the work of today's guests, check out www.azaces.org or southmountainworks.org. As Angie and Shomari discussed, traumatic experiences can happen to any of us and may have already occurred it's important that we continue to reduce the negative stigma that's often associated with this topic and that we build systems in ways that recognize and address the signs of trauma. To that end, if you or anyone you know are navigating through a traumatic experience, or if it would be helpful to speak with a peer who's gone through a similar experience, support is always available by calling Arizona's Crisis Line at 1-800-631-1314 or by calling the Peer Support Warm Line at 602-347-1100. As always, many thanks to the team at Gordon C. James Public Relations and Rob Trigg at Star Worldwide Networks for production and sound design. Until next time, take care of yourselves and each other.